1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, our text for tonight. This is dependability part 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I want to speak to you on dependability, and this is part two. Thank you, Brother Brandon, for playing so long while I preached a little bit, you know, before I preached. So let me quickly review last Wednesday night. Dependability is fulfilling what I agreed to do, even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. So live life for the long haul. You can be faithful for a day, but you cannot be faithful in a day. Faithfulness is judged over time and over the consistency of your life. A steward is someone who has been given charge of another person's property. And stewardship starts with ownership, that we were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are not our own, we belong to Jesus Christ. Last Wednesday night, I took time to go through Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents and tried to apply those principles and the attitude of the five-talent man, the two-talent man, and the one-talent man. Now, I want to move into some new material now, very important. You see, your dependability is a character trait. And it is not contingent on how much responsibility you have. It is how much character you have. Maybe you've heard someone else, surely not you. Someone else said, if I made more money, I would work harder. Well, that's probably not true. And maybe you don't make as much money as you deserve. Life is not fair. You may recall that a fair is a place where you go ride rides. And I know that there are disparities, there are arguments over wages, gender gaps, and cultural gaps. But put all of that aside for tonight. If you got paid more, you would most likely not work harder or smarter than you do now. Because your work is a reflection of who you are, not how much you're being paid. The Bible speaks about this in Colossians 3.22. And in the context of that day, New Living Translation, he refers to these people as slaves. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, not just when your boss is looking over your shoulder. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord, not your boss, and back in that day, not your master, but because of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So the Bible is very clear. It's not about your paycheck. It's not about your position. It's about your relationship with God and how it comes down and affects the way you act at church, at work, at home, in your world as a citizen of our culture. Now, some people get paid for what they do. 
Some people get paid for what they know. Some people get paid for how much responsibility they carry. Some people are paid for a very special and unique skill set and then for how hard you may work. But ultimately, you should work as if the Lord was your immediate supervisor, that He was calculating your eternal rewards based on your work ethic on the job, on the way you conduct yourself as a part of a home, and the way you serve as a member of a local church. You see, if you're dependable in small things, you will also be dependable in big things. And if you're undependable, not dependable in small things, don't think that anyone is ever going to trust you with more. Now Jesus spoke about this in Luke 16, starting at verse 10, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you are faithful in little things, these are the words of Jesus now, so take this very seriously. You will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, remember that's what a steward is, a person who has been charged with another person's goods. Five-talent man, two-talent man, the one-talent man, they're all given something to work with that is not theirs. And believe me, your time, your talent, your treasure is a gift from God. We are stewards of those things, and it is required among stewards that we are faithful. Jesus said, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why? Should you be trusted with things of your own? At the end of Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, and also in the parable of the pounds, those men were given ten talents, five talents, and then zero because of their dependability, and that was indicative of their eternal reward. So it is your advantage, it is to your advantage and mine, to be dependable in every area of life. God and people do not look at the size of the task, but your dependability to it. If you are mopping floors, which I like to do, and people who know me know that I like to mop floors. If you're stocking shelves, or if you're doing brain surgery, you should always do your best. The Bible has a lot to say about slackers, about lazy people, and I'll get to that later. The Lord is concerned with how you and I handle even the smallest responsibility because dependability prepares us and positions us for the future of more responsibility. When I was a teenager, um, I worked for a Winn-Dixie, a grocery store chain, and I started out as a bag boy making $1.65 an hour. Don't feel sorry for me. That was the minimum wage. I was happy to have a good job. And if I took someone's groceries out and they gave me a tip, then I got a great raise. Well, I was making a little bit more than that at this time of this story, uh, but probably the most money I'd ever held in my hand at one time might have been a $100 bill. One day at work, my boss asked me to do something that was kind of out of the ordinary. I never did it before. I never did it after this particular day. He said, Daryl, I need you to go to the bank and make a deposit for me. Now, 
I thought, you know, this is not a little mom-and-pop organization, but I had no idea what he was getting ready to ask me to do. I said, sure, no problem, I can do that. And he said, the deposit is $10,000. I almost fainted when he said, $10,000? I tried to act real cool and collect it like, you can trust me, I'm your man. Give me ten grand, I'll go straight to the bank. I felt really conspicuous. I had the money bag under my arm, was walking out across the parking lot, carrying quite a bit of money, $10,000. I don't even remember. It might have been more than one bag. I got in my car, 1966 Blue Chevelle. Not as cool as it sounds, but cool enough. I stuck the money bags under my seat, shoved them there, locked the doors, tried to look like the poorest guy in the parking lot. I drove with both hands on the steering wheel, Eyes wide open, looking for reckless drivers. I got to the bank, scanned the parking lot for suspicious looking people. I just knew somebody was going to rob me before I got in the bank. Cautiously, I opened the door, clutched the cash bag, casually strolled to the bank like I was just holding a piggy bank, you know, trying to not look conspicuous, and I'm sure I looked very conspicuous. I didn't want anyone to detect my mission. I got inside. It seemed like I had to wait for an eternity for my turn at the teller. Every person that walked in the door was a suspect, a potential bank robber. What if somebody held up the bank, got the money? How would I explain it to my boss? Oh, I got robbed. That's where the $10,000 went. I could never pay back $10,000 on an almost minimum wage job. And that was when $10,000 was really a lot of money. Think about minimum wage and $10,000. When I was finally at the teller window, it was my great relief to place that package into the teller's hands, get my deposit receipt, walk out the door. My mission was over. No one robbed me. I wasn't tempted to skip the country. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. As I was driving back to the store, I kind of laughed at myself. I thought, you know, was all this caution because of how much money I was handling? And I really thought to myself, what would happen is if I was as careful with the little bit of money that I have as I had been with the $10,000? You see, everybody would like to have more, be trusted with more, but what are we doing with the little bit that we have right now. Jesus said, if you can't be trusted with a little, no one's ever going to trust you with a lot. So to every young person watching, and I hope parents are grabbing their teenagers and making them come and watch this sermon right now, if you're waiting to be a multimillionaire, if you're waiting to be a supervisor or the CEO and have the corner office, but you can't do your best and working in a fast food store, or whatever menial job you have. If you're waiting to be the pastor of the church so you can escape all of those menial tasks, well, I've got some really bad news for you. When you're the pastor, you do every job, and you never grow out of it. But if you're waiting for that day to come, that day will never come for you if you're too good to do the small things, the little things in life. You see, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, Dependability is fulfilling what I agree to do 
even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. Now, I've observed that there are some distractions from dependability that a lot of people have. They say they want to be dependable, but they never quite get there. And you would think that dependability should be a normal trait easily found in ordinary people, but unfortunately, many people never learn the value and the necessity of being dependable. In our world, dependability is viewed as excellence when it really should be the expectation for everyone. Pentecostals, we don't just sit around speaking in tongues, right? We demonstrate character and ethics in our lives. So if you wanted a more spiritual Bible study tonight, this is as spiritual as it gets. Unfortunately, according to Proverbs 20 and 6, Dependable people are rare. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. There are some things that distract us from being dependable. These distractions need to be overcome if we're going to be found faithful as dependable people. So I want to talk about them. I'll try to not take too much time on each one of them, but selfishness, moodiness, laziness, poor planning and procrastination, misplaced priorities and a lack of purpose. So let's talk about selfishness first. Selfish people are usually inconsiderate of others just because they're only thinking of themselves. Now they may not be arrogant and proud people, but they are self-centered. They are thinking about themselves, even if they are self-conscious, that is still all about you. It's self-directed. In their, uh, in their liberty, or if their liberty, inconveniences another person, just too bad, they're thinking about themselves. They shouldn't be expected to go out of their way for other people if a selfish person decides that it's too much trouble to get out on in a bad weather night like tonight to go to church to help do their part, they'll just stay home. And I'm not talking about dangerous weather. I'm talking about just foul weather. They might say to themselves, there's no reason to risk my life when they will there'll be plenty of people to show up at the work day to be involved in the fall festival when we can have one again or or whatever particular thing it is, whether it is church or home or work. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 tells us, For each of you, let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Dependable people grow out of selfishness. And we should consider the needs and expectations of other people as well as ourselves. Selfishness is one reason People are not willing to go the second mile. They're not willing to make those unexpected sacrifices that are part of what dependability or faithfulness really is. And then I've, I've observed people that are unfaithful, not dependable, because they are just moody people. People who are emotionally motivated are undependable. When they feel well, they do well. But when they feel bad, they perform Poorly. Moody people spend their lives going from mountain to valley and back to the mountain again. And you can only hope that when you need them, they're on the mountain and not in the valley. Because if they're in the valley, just forget it. You can't count on them. 
When they're up, they're really up. And when they're down, they're really down. When they're doing really well, they want everybody to jump on the bandwagon and feel as good as they feel and do as well as they do. But when they're not doing well, when they're down in that valley, they're usually critical and excuse themselves from dependability. Moodiness is an enemy of dependability and must be overcome. Now I want to just give you this parenthetical statement that I recognize that there are medical conditions and life situations that can affect our moods. Even weather can affect our moods. But dependable people are rationally motivated. They're not emotionally motivated. Dependable people perform their duties regardless of how they feel. Dependable people have feelings. They have moods. They're just not controlled by them. The Apostle Paul talked about conquering these kinds of feelings in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I recognize that this human body, my, my, my human nature, will tend toward not being dependable, not being disciplined. But Paul said, I discipline my body like an athlete disciplines his body to be able to perform as needed. Now we, my precious friends of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, and those of you who have joined us online, we're in pursuit of an eternal reward, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And if an athlete would discipline himself, a business person or whomever it would be for something that matters for time, how much more should we conquer our moodiness for that which matters for eternity? Rise above your moods and be dependable. Another hindrance that is talked about a lot in the Bible is just plain old laziness. Now right now when I said laziness, you said that's not me. Because if you're lazy, you don't know it or won't admit it. So I really don't know who I'm talking to, but since the Bible talks about laziness, there must be lazy people in the world. It's interesting that the lazy person usually doesn't know it or won't admit it. Proverbs 26, 13. The lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. So the lazy person is saying... It's scary out there. I would go. I would do what I'm supposed to do. But it's dangerous out there and I'm not leaving the house when you know there's a lion in the street. Verse 14. As a door, this is such a funny picture to me, swings back and forth on its hinges so the lazy person turns over in their bed. In other words, it means they don't really go anywhere. They just flip and flop from one side to the other but they don't get up and do anything. Lazy people, the wise man said, take food in their hand but won't even lift it to their mouth. Now that's an exaggeration. Perhaps they're pretty lazy, right? Not even energetic enough to eat. Lazy people, he said, consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. And that's a fascinating insight about lazy people. They don't say they're lazy. They've just got better insight that justifies their laziness. And one of the best ways the Bible says to overcome laziness is if you get real hungry and start starving. 
and that if a man won't work, that he shouldn't eat, and that hunger would become a motivation for working. But if we're always bailing out lazy people, lazy children, lazy young adults, lazy adults, lazy employees, if we're always propping them up, they'll never get hungry enough to do something about their hunger. So we need to be honest about our laziness and we need to be accountable to someone who will be direct and you should submit to their counsel and direction so you can overcome your laziness. Now I have a caution in my notes. If you have typically not been lazy but have become lazy, make sure that you're not battling a medical condition or experiencing some form of depression that has demotivated you. So I'm not trying to be harsh here tonight. I want to be understanding. And I also don't want you to beat yourself up. I want you to motivate yourself to be dependable. Another distraction from dependability is poor planning and procrastination. Now, there are some people that just don't think ahead or plan ahead And so they're always putting things off. And what you procrastinate, you typically abandon. If you've got an obligation, write it down. Type it in your calendar. For me, I have to give myself reminders, email reminders, two weeks, four weeks, depending on what it is. Remind myself. You know, there's a lot of moving parts in all of our lives. It's important to make commitments important to you by finding a way to Keep them. Block it out. Be punctual. Be on time. And to do that, sometimes you need to count backwards. Maybe you should say that being late for me is being early for them. In other words, you've padded being on time. If church starts at 9 a.m. or 11.30 a.m., in your mind, it starts at 8.45 or 11.15. You've tried to help yourself, give yourself a buffer to be dependable. Now, it's one thing to just be an attendee at church and on that particular day you don't have a responsibility and so you can slide in whenever you come in. But when you're serving, it's so important to be dependable and make sure that you leave room, leave margin to do what you said you would do even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. And if you have young children, you can never count on enough margin for all the things that could happen when you're trying to get to church on time. When we were a young family, we had one child. His name was Ryan. We're getting ready to leave for church in Jackson. We had a carport and I had a little swimming pool with a really flexible size. And just as we're getting ready to leave for church, Little Ryan, I don't remember his age, but he was a little toddler. He walked over and he put his hand on the side of that metal rim pool and pushed it over and all that water came flooding over him. And of course, it delayed us getting to church. It can happen to anyone. So we need to plan ahead and we need to leave margin. In our culture, screen time, news alerts, text messages, social media posts, there's so many things that rob us of our time and keep us from planning ahead. Procrastination, as I mentioned earlier, causes us to abandon our priorities. You see, life abounds with time robbers. But time is life, and life is measured in time. 
We say that someone lived 20 years, 50 years, 97 years. We measure our life in terms of time. So it's important that we treat time as a sacred trust from God and that every day is important to our life. You can't just look back over a year or a decade and say, where did my life go? Every day counts for what you are becoming and what you are doing with your life. So treat each day as important to your life, just as each brick or board is important in the construction of a building. Learn to manage your time by identifying time wasters and avoid engaging in activities that are unproductive or time robbers. Make a to-do list of what you need to do each day. For me, it works to do that at least the night before so that I know what are important. Maybe you need to prioritize A, B, C, or one, two, three, what is most important, and do those things first if at all possible. Some wise man said that the main thing in life is to keep the main thing the main thing. As Stephen Covey said, put the big rocks in first and try to make sure that you do what is right. The next time, robber, that affects dependability is misplaced priorities. You see, you either live by priorities or by pressures. So... What is a priority? Merriam-Webster says it is something that is more important than other things and needs to be done or dealt with first. The Oxford Dictionary says a thing that is regarded as more important as another. So decisions in our lives need to be made about what things are more important than other things. Exactly what is first and what is second and so on. In the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey talks about habit number three, which is to put first things first. And he talks about the four quadrants of life that we should spend most of our time in quadrant two, which is the things that are not urgent, but they are very, very important. That may determine the success of our life. You see, if we don't take control of our lives and time, if we don't live by priorities instead of pressures, There's a cascading effect in our lives where it seems like we get farther and farther behind and our life becomes more and more dysfunctional because we are not living by priorities. A lack of purpose can distract you from dependability. I think that this was probably the greatest one and I saved it for last. That... People may not see themselves as important. What will it matter if I come or not? What difference will I make? You see, the lack of a worthy purpose will undermine motivation. If your job is maintenance or management, make yourself important to that job. Make it your purpose and see that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ no matter where you are. Remember that it was a little servant girl, a maid, who told Naaman about the God of Israel and the prophet that could cause him to recover from his leprosy. You can have a menial task in life, but a grand scheme in God's great economy of his kingdom. Don't spend your time envying successful people. Try to emulate the traits that lead to success. 
Let your work be an expression of your character, of your dependability. Let it not depend on how much you make or what position you hold because you're never going to go farther if you don't take care of the business God has already given you now. And I established that early in this message with Scripture. Wherever you are and whatever you do, why don't you bring something to the table to make a difference? Make a significant contribution to what some people think are menial tasks. Serving in the shadows to lift the load and make a difference. You know, I've learned that there's a great demand for people who will serve in areas that are not in the spotlight. You'll never have to stand in a long line to get a chance to take out the trash, to do the dirty work, to wash the feet of your brothers or sisters. In the church, every person, I believe, should find at least one meaningful place of ministry where we can demonstrate our stewardship to Jesus Christ. We are all stewards and it is required in stewards that we are found faithful. You see, I believe that God is depending on you and me to demonstrate faithfulness in our lives. And not only is God depending on you, but your family is depending on you to lift the load and fill that place and be a contributor, not a draining person to what is going on in your home to lift this up. Your church is certainly depending on you to make a difference in the way you give to God and the way you serve. Our amazing sacrificial offering is made up of amounts of giving both small and great, but everybody doing their best, it all adds up to the success of any endeavor. We should, as a member of the body of Christ, maintain communication with the head of that body. We should develop harmony and unity in the body. And we should fulfill our particular function in the church. We should find a way to serve in ministry, to be faithful in finances and our support to God, our family, and our church. But the world is also depending on you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. They're looking for someone to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in a really crazy world. And at the end of it all, Jesus Christ, who is our master, will reward dependability in a way that will blow your mind. You see, dependability makes a huge difference. But God is looking for people who are dependable. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. You see, in our lives, we should live to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to that man who was a faithful steward in Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and dependable, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, if we are faithful in the things that are small, God will trust us with things that really matter. So let me review the definition again. Dependability is fulfilling what I agreed to do even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. I'm going to pray. 
we're going to display the same questions as we did last week in just a few moments. We're going to play a song and we're going to reflect and pray and perhaps you want to discuss these three questions and the concept of dependability in your family or with a friend. And if you're alone and you have a phone, you could contact somebody if you were so inclined to do. Let's pray. And Jesus, I thank you that while we may sometimes seem to fly, that our relationship with you is more like walking. Abraham walked with God. We will walk and not faint. So in this life of walking with you, I pray that you would help us to be dependable people, people that you can count on, that our families can count on, the church can count on, and that this world could see, Lord, as a reflection of the character of Jesus Christ. Help us be more like you every day to be dependable people. And I pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.